Hi, I'm Bruce Tolgan, author of The Art of Being Indispensable at Work, published by Harvard Business Review Press. And this is The Indispensables, a podcast featuring conversations with real go-to people who stand the test of time in the real world of work. Each week, I ask my guests what they do differently that sets them apart in the workplace, what makes them tick, and what makes them so successful. Welcome to The Indispensables. I'm Bruce Tolgan, and today I have Wendy Steele, the founder of Impact 100, a philanthropic organization. Um, Wendy Steele describes herself as a recovering banker. She spent decades um, in banking, uh, and uh, she's an author. She wrote a book called Invitation to Impact about community transformation through philanthropy. And um, I'm, I'm delighted to welcome Wendy Steele to The Indispensables. Welcome. Thank you, Bruce. I'm happy to be here. Uh, well, it's great great to have you. And uh, I love mission-driven work. And it sounds like your work uh, is very mission-driven. So, uh, But let, let, for those who are not familiar with Impact 100 or uh, banking, for that matter, uh, or your life and career, uh, let's just tell the listeners uh, a little bit about where you're coming from and how you got to be who you are and where you are. Gosh, that could be a really long answer, so I will, I'll try to give you the highlights. I grew up in a family that valued and modeled giving back, and so throughout my career after graduating college, I became a banker, and I wanted to help people. My grandfather was a banker. He told great stories of helping business people and families achieve their goals, and that's what I wanted to do. Alongside my banking career, however, I was always involved in the community in a lot of the traditional ways. I volunteered at the kids' school and at church and Junior League, United Way, all of the organizations that exist to help others. And yeah, for those who are a little younger and less experienced, uh, these were community organizations that people who uh, lived um, uh, sort of upper middle class lives often participated in. For some of the younger, less experienced people, um, say the Junior League, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, actually, the Junior League still exists, um, but... In any event, I ended up moving to Cincinnati, Ohio from the East Coast. And one of the cool things about Cincinnati in particular is that there are a lot of corporate headquarters, which means there are a lot of well-paying jobs, but the cost of living there is really low. What surprised me, however, was how many women didn't see a viable path for them to be involved in their community in any way. Not only were the more traditional on-ramps not appropriate either to their lifestyle, sort of how they saw themselves in the world, they also didn't think that they had enough. They didn't know enough to make a difference. They didn't have enough to give. It wouldn't matter. There were some scandals, relatively high-profile scandals in the nonprofit world during these years. And so there was also this sort of level of cynicism. Maybe these nonprofits were really just a racket. And it was all of those things in the summer of 2001 that kept running through my mind when I was on vacation. And I couldn't forget what the women had said. And I also couldn't let go of the idea 
that not only did the community need these women, the community nonprofits and other, other service providers, they needed these women's brains, their hearts, and frankly, their checkbooks. And these women, they needed to better understand what it was like to go from sitting on the sidelines, wringing your hands, worried about what's happening in the world, to becoming a part of the solution, to helping those who are moving the needle and solving our most pressing problems. And in a spiral notebook, one by one, I wrote down all the objections, all the barriers women face to getting involved in their community and sought to overcome them. What ended up in that spiral notebook is what we now know as Impact 100. Super simple model, gather at least 100 women in local community. They each donate $1,000. You pool all of that money into a single grant of $100,000 or more and offer it directly back to the local community across five broad focus areas meant to encompass the mission of any nonprofit in the region. So it's a great idea. Uh, take 100 people locally, and uh, then you've got $100,000 to uh, make a real impact on uh, a local nonprofit. Uh, I have a lot of questions uh, because step one is uh, find 100 people. Uh, step two is, you know, make sure those 100 people have $1,000 they want to give. Step three, get them to agree on where you're going to give that money. Exactly. What Impact 100 does is it democratizes philanthropy in a way that allows every woman one donation, one vote. And what happens then is that we end up making better decisions because we have the collective experience of all of those women. Now, in year one, 123 women wrote a check to Impact 100, and we gave away a, a single grant of $123,000. Now, that was after receiving, I believe it was more than 114 grant applications. We reviewed all of those, and then we came up with a finalist in each of the five focus areas we serve, and every woman whether she chose to be involved in the grant review process or not, cast her vote. And the highest vote getter in our inaugural year, which was 2002, was the McMicken Dental Clinic in Over the Rhine, which is one of Cincinnati's most challenging neighborhoods. And this dental clinic served the homeless and uninsured. Our $123,000 bought five new dental setups for the clinic. Wow. Uh, and when you say dental setups, you mean uh, a chair and equipment so that they could serve the underserved. Exactly. We replaced five of those chairs with the light that comes down and the drills that are all attached. We replaced the existing ones that were old and not functioning well with brand new ones. And when we think about the grants that we make at Impact 100, we, we hope always to do something transformational, something that really moves the needle, as well as something sustainable. And our first grant was that in spades. We not only allowed the clinic to serve many, many more patients, we also, because it now had all new equipment, there were more volunteer dentists that came in to help the staff 
dentists that work there. And the useful life of dental equipment is more than 20 years. So we ended up really delivering on the promise of long-term sustained change. And uh, what's the application process? Do you have a, a request for proposals process or how do you do it? Do you uh, advertise in the Journal of Philanthropy or uh, what, what, what's your approach to that? Well, it's, it's close to that. So the one, one of the things that makes Impact 100 unique is that we first have to raise the money. So what happened in the case I described is that women were given a very strict deadline that if they wanted to participate, we needed not just their commitment to join, but we needed their full $1,000 by a certain date. In this case, it was May of 2002. Once we had everyone's checks in hand, we then knew what we had to give away because our commitment is we give away everything we get. And so at that point, we announced to the 10-county greater Cincinnati area, hey, nonprofits, we have $123,000 to give away. We want it to be transformational and sustainable for your organization. And you are all invited to submit a proposal. Now, we have grant guidelines, as you might imagine, but they're fairly broad and open. We want to encourage participation. We want it to be as inclusive as possible. And so as a result, our first grant announcement resulted in, as I said, over 100 applications across our five focus areas. And women who join, they get to decide how involved they are. So they might say, I'm going to write a check and that's all I have time for. That's great. They might say, I don't know anything about reviewing a grant application, but I want to be involved. Will you teach me? And everything in between. So since women design their own experience, they can be as involved as they want. It made it far more attractive to women than the traditional time-based giving that, that women's philanthropy has been built upon. And that's really how it works. So you're building new philanthropists in the process. Absolutely. In fact, interestingly, of our membership, most chapters will tell you that approximately 50% of the women who join their local Impact 100 chapter have never written a check to a single charity for $1,000 prior to joining Impact. In fact, when I created the model, I myself had never written a check to a charity for $1,000. I thought I could do it. I thought it might even be fun but I had never done it myself. And, and we see that repeating around the world. And so you mentioned that you have chapters, how many chapters? Uh, so we're doing this in uh, uh, the spring of 2023. So 21 years later, how many chapters do you have? We have more than 65 chapters in four countries and we are growing faster today than we did when this all launched. That's fantastic. And so now do you have people beating your door down? Hey, when do I get some money? We not so much from the grantee side, not so much from the nonprofit side, but we have women raising their hand all the time, far more, in fact, than we have the capacity to satisfy. So it takes us a little longer. And we have current Impact 100 chapters that are growing or trying to grow. And the work I do 
in Impact 100 Global is I help new chapters to launch wherever they are, and I help existing chapters reach their highest potential. Surprisingly, perhaps, the world's largest Impact 100 chapter has well over 1,100 members, and they're in Pensacola, Florida. Demographically, you would not expect Pensacola to be home of the world's largest impact, and yet they are. Now, we also have chapters who only want to read 300 members. That's where they feel their sweet spot is. We have chapters who want to surpass Pensacola, and we have chapters in rural Missouri who are happy to get 100 women who give slightly less than that $1,000 in order to transform their community. So it is uh, so a is model it, that adjusts. Is it up to each chapter uh, what the threshold is for participation? Yes and no. Um, broadly speaking, we know that the reason a $1,000 membership fee works is because it's a stop and think gift. If I asked you, Bruce, to invest in something I was doing and I asked you for a hundred or two fifty or even five hundred dollars. If you knew me well enough and you trusted that I could probably do a good job, you might give me the, that amount of money and you might not even remember to ask me what I did with it or how it turned out. But if I ask you for a thousand dollars, even if you're someone with great wealth, it causes this moment of hesitation, this slight sort of check in your heart where you say, hmm, $1,000, that's a lot of money. And it is that moment of contemplation, or in some cases, it's that notion of having to sacrifice something else in order to write that check for 1000 that makes the model so powerful. Because when we are connected to that gift, we are also connected to the $100,000 we give away. And, and hold on to your hats, because 20 years later, by the end of 2022, Impact 100 communities around the globe have given away a cumulative $123 million. So we've grown a thousandfold in 20 years. And every single woman, whether they joined for a year or whether they've been involved for 20 plus years, every single woman had a part of that. And because of feeling the notion of that first thousand dollar gift, they therefore will feel the connection to the 123 million that they helped unleash to help solve the world's most pressing problems. So do you have any big givers or is that 123,000 contributions of $1,000 each? It is $1,000 each. The way the model works, if a member is wealthy enough to write a check for $5,000, she can't buy five votes. Now she could buy five years of membership. She also could buy one year of membership and provide a scholarship for other women with the additional $4,000. Um, but it is democratized so that our newly minted philanthropists, those women who are writing this thousand dollar check for a first time, are sitting alongside a very seasoned philanthropist, a woman for whom a thousand dollars is simply something else she does in her portfolio of giving. And when you imagine a table with the newly minted at one end and the seasoned at the other and every shade 
and experience in between. And now you imagine the conversations that take place as we analyze, vet, and assess the nonprofits who apply. You will find that the seasoned philanthropist with her view from the mountaintop, she knows what's happening in this in this field. She knows what's been successful other places. She knows what the trends are. She understands the data. The newly minted philanthropist, however, she may know someone who had to experience help from some of these organizations. She might know where the key bus routes are and who the important local partners are in order for something to be successful. And when they engage in dialogue, they speak with an equal voice and their vote is equal. And what we end up finding is that we make better decisions this way. We also find our lives as members are personally enriched because those two women They don't live in the same neighborhoods, shop at the same stores, have their kids in the same schools, or run in. They don't have a way to meet each other organically, typically. And Impact 100 brings them together in a way where new friendships are forged, where connections get made, and all of our lives get better. Yeah, I can imagine um, a situation where people are getting to know each other uh, through this process and learning from each other, as you say, in both ways, because everybody has uh, experience to offer uh, lessons for others. Um, and, uh, and, it's, and it's intriguing that you're managing to maintain of a democratic feel to the organization and participation because, of course, uh, it's so easy for somebody to take a look, decide they're interested and decide to be the hero. And then all of a sudden they're the big shot in the room. Right. Yeah. And that just doesn't work for us. Um, And don't get me wrong. There are ways we often think of these women as Impact 100 super fans, and those super fans do have the ability to help. They can, for example, write a check that helps women who otherwise couldn't afford to join the opportunity. They also can underwrite the expenses because I know as an entrepreneur, you know that there are costs of doing business. And when 100% of the membership dollars come in and immediately go out in grants, that means we have to pay for some of the administrative costs somehow. And we can barter and we can get in-kind gifts from the community, which is a big part of it. But we also often need those women and men and organizations who believe in what we're doing and want to sponsor at either the local level to an individual chapter or at the global level to help at the movement or infrastructure level. Um, and so that's how they help. So you do have other foundation level giving that, um, do you have paid staffers? The, we don't at the moment, no. Every local Impact 100 chapter is always run by volunteers. That's sort of part of the secret sauce of it. At Impact Global, we are looking forward to the day that we can get paid staff and expand so that we can not just meet the demand that we are currently faced with, but proactively go out and help those existing chapters before they hit a brick wall and help to evangelize Impact 100 in communities. You know, 
we're built on inclusivity and diversity. However, when you look at women who are most likely to raise their hand and volunteer, they might look a certain way. These are women who are used to raising their hand. They are women who have a certain level of agency. You imagine, however, being able to go into a community that might be underrepresented, underestimated, inexperienced with this sort of thing, and coming alongside those leaders to proactively invite them to start an Impact 100 in their community with their peers, funding the problems that they have the best view of, that becomes what the true fulfillment of Impact 100 could be. Yeah, it's really interesting. So how do you conduct uh, the activities that range from forming a chapter, uh, uh, having a venue for communication? I mean, are there meetings? Are there events? Is it all online? So I will, I'll answer that in two parts. The first part has to do with the local chapters. So every chapter is independent of each other and of Impact 100 Global. So this isn't like, um, you know, some of the sort of more franchise thoughts of nonprofits. It doesn't work that way with us. So at the local level, they do, it's not a lot of meetings, but it's enough meetings to get the women connected, to let them get involved in vetting the nonprofit applications and so forth. So so the 65 plus chapters around the world operate independently with volunteers and, and they do the work it takes to invite members to join, to invite nonprofits to apply, to vet those applications, and then to award a grant. And they do this every year. So every year they start from zero and recruit their members and nonprofit applications, give away the grants and then do it again. Um, so that's what happens at a at a very local level. Globally, what we do is every other year, we provide a an in-person conference. Now in 2021, it was fully virtually, but prior to that, leading back to 2005, we've met in person as a chance to share best practices, introduce people to each other, and help them to be successful with whatever they're trying to do whether it's launch a chapter or continue to grow their their current chapter. We also do calls like this every month where nonprofit leaders from the Impact 100 footprint, they can get on and, and ask anything they want. Some of the, we call them chapter chats. Some of these chats are, are we'll say, this month we're gonna talk about membership recruitment or this month we're gonna talk about nonprofit engagement. Other months, it's an open forum, and it's an hour-long conversation where women from around the footprint can ask anything they want. They will get my impact. They'll get the, the sort of view of all the chapters, and then they'll get very deep in the tactics with existing leaders in chapters around the globe who weigh in on how they do this thing or how they answer that question. Um, I also do newsletters and et cetera. So there's lots of ways to try to reach the leaders who are out there trying to make the world a better place through Impact 100. So is it the case that, I mean, somebody must be keeping lists, 
but it sounds very grassroots, like people are getting on the phone and calling a couple of friends and they told two friends and they told two friends and they told two friends, right? Exactly. Yeah, it is. It's very grassroots. It started that way. When I started it, I honestly thought I was building something just for Cincinnati and I didn't realize it would have the resonance around the world that it has. Um, People Magazine wrote a story and that's what started it. And then we got some other publicity and off it went. And women told women told women. 100% of our growth has been organic. It's because somebody heard about the model and wanted to start one in their community. And so they did. Yeah, that's that's powerful. And when was the People Magazine uh, piece? It hit the newsstands in January of 2003. So we had barely given away our first grant in September of 2002. or mid-January of 2003, the People Magazine article came out. And I I did not anticipate the reaction it got. But um, my email, my home phone was blowing up. I mean, it was it was a really wonderful reaction to hearing this, hearing about impact. And that probably led to a bunch of other media, right? Once yeah. you have one landmark story, then people are saying, oh, let's uh, let's do a little story on this. You are absolutely right. And, you know, we tried really hard to get local media back in Cincinnati when this was a new thing. And it was very, very difficult. So when I got the call from People Magazine asking questions about, you know, the fact they might run a story, I thought it was a prank call. Um, The Cincinnati Inquirer buried in the living section, like the third page had done a little blurb after we gave away our first grant. Um, And that was, which was nice. It was great, but I didn't expect anything would come, but it was that article that triggered people. And then it was people that triggered so much else. I mean, if I can say with 100% certainty, Impact 100 would never have the success it has today were it not for the media, full stop. Women tell women, and that's important, but media gives us credibility. It gives us a platform beyond the organic reach of the people we know. And it's harder and harder today than it ever was, Right, but it is more and more vital. Yeah. And, and people see that and say, oh, wow, what a great idea and how interesting. And hey, maybe we should do that. And um, <clears throat> so how does the balloting work? Well, the way it works is we have these five focus areas. So it's education, environment, health and wellness, family, and arts and culture. If they serve on a committee, these are the focus area committees that accept all the grants and do the grant review. That process in each focus area is vetting and we have rubrics and we ha- we make site visits. So there's a there's a pretty intense evaluation as well as a financial review. Once we have those five focus areas, members come together in an annual award celebration where they will have already received the executive summaries for each of those five finalists so they know where the money will go. The finalists have an opportunity to speak to the group to basically say, our our nonprofit, our project is going to have the biggest impact and please vote for us. 
So each nonprofit gets a chance to speak and the members rank vote to avoid the likelihood of having a tie. So they rank vote all five of those finalists, one being their favorite down to five. We have those votes tallied and literally the highest vote getter receives the grant. If a member can't attend that annual award celebration, she can vote by absentee ballot and her vote is obviously still counted. But we are very transparent, although we don't typically share who got how many votes, but we're very transparent in all the vetting that happens all the nonprofits that make it to finalist status. And we want to make it as fair, as easy to understand, and as inclusive as we possibly can. I think the trends in society today, even more than then, um, back in 2001, 2002, when Impact was created, you know, I think there's a level of of need for transparency today that's even greater than it was when we started Impact. And that's what we try to provide. Yeah, it sounds uh, powerful and uh, organic. And uh, I, I guess, uh, so just a final uh, question on process. And then I want, I want to ask you a few more uh, drill down questions. And then I, we got to talk about your book. Um, the so these events are people sign up and pay for their dinner and uh, that's how those get paid for? Typically. Um, so our annual award celebration, because each chapter doesn't have a huge budget. So there are times when a sponsor will come in and a sponsor will say, look, we don't want your members to have to pay for dinner. So we're going to pay to have to have this event put on. And, and that's great. Some chapters, some communities do it that way. Most, though, negotiate the best deal they can with the venue. And, uh, you know, it's if you want to come to the annual meeting, it costs X dollars, you know, and you register here. And there's almost always a, if it's hard for you to attend based on price, contact us and we'll cover it for you. Because there are often women who will say, look, I don't want someone to skip this important meeting without that notion. So... Um, we do the best we can prices being what prices are these days. Sometimes that annual dinner is like 65 bucks a person. I mean that, which feels like a lot. And I'm talking about 65 bucks a person in Cincinnati or, you know, in places that are not Manhattan, um, places that are not super, super expensive to live. Um, even when you do your best to negotiate, it still can be a high price. Other chapters hold it on a Sunday afternoon so that the costs are are nominal. They don't serve food. So you can show up for, you know, without paying anything. And if you choose to donate toward the expense of whatever they're serving, you're, you know, you're invited to, but it's not a requirement and it's not a part of the registration and sort of all over the map. Yeah, got it. So I guess when you have 65 chapters in four different countries, then you're going to get a lot of variety. Yeah. Um, so and 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 once again, the, the, the focus areas are education, environment, health and wellness, arts and culture. What was the fifth one? Family. You have a good memory. Yeah. Yeah. And the idea behind those five is they're each meant to be broadly interpreted so that there wouldn't be a nonprofit whose mission wouldn't qualify. The reason for that is 
Now, bear in mind, I didn't say there wouldn't be a nonprofit who wouldn't qualify, just their mission, because financially they do have to qualify before they apply. But the idea is in every community, there are community members who care passionately about each one of those areas. We want our members to know that their favorite nonprofits will have a shot at getting a grant, that the passion areas that they care about can be covered. Now, it is the goal, my goal, might not be the goal of the local community. My goal for every impact is that they get 500 members. Because once you hit 500 members, you fund one grant of 100,000 or more in each of those five focus areas. And when you do that, you're lifting the entire community. Now, in some cases, like Pensacola, which where they have 1,100, they no longer are vetting down to one finalist in each category. They need three finalists in each category, at which point the membership votes for two of the three across those, and then one category that gets fully funded. Um, so as you grow, your number of finalists change, but the process remains the same. And and I just have to say one more thing about, about what happens with these grants. When we make a grant of $100,000 or more, what we know to be true is that people who otherwise couldn't get jobs, people who couldn't get health care, people who couldn't get housing, and on and on and on, jobs are created, the community gets better, and it becomes an economic development force within that community. If you imagine Pensacola, even one year at $1.1 million, but, but even if you don't take that, if you take an average chapter of three to 400 members, and you imagine that $300,000 is being invested in the areas of the community that need it most. That's $300,000 that government didn't have to pay for, that private business didn't have to support. And it's $300,000 that becomes the catalyst for more of the economic engine to be driven. Women who are involved in Impact 100 end up becoming better informed and therefore more involved in their community. They step into leadership in new ways. And when we make the community a better place to live for everybody, everybody, in fact, benefits, whether you know a single person who ever received benefit from the grant or not, you really are this rising tide that lifts the community in a powerful and sustainable way. Yeah. And I mean, you're, 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 um, providing an object lesson and also an experience in citizenship and service uh, and community involvement, which at least, you know, by my lights uh, is sadly missing in today's world. Um, and a lot has changed in the 21 years you've been doing this. Um, there's a lot about what you're doing that I find really interesting. Uh, again, from my perspective, it seems old fashioned. And I say that in a good way. I mean, I'm an old fashioned guy. Um, and so to me, citizenship, service, community involvement, uh, basic civics, and, and by which I mean non-political civics. Um, I mean, of course, there's political civics as well. 
Uh, but these are things that have gone sadly out of style. And not only that, but you know, with some people nowadays, if you talk about these old fashioned values and these old fashioned ways of participating, um, you know, some people will talk about it with disdain as if you're somehow uh, talking about something that they shouldn't buy into or that you're trying to trick them into something. Um, so for me, uh, I think this is really, I'm, 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 I'm heartened uh, at your project and I, and I'm, you know, of course there are a lot of other enterprises uh, maybe not exactly like this, but that are promoting citizenship and service the way you are. One question I have is, and it is, this speaks particularly to how things have changed in the last 21 years around gender and gender politics. Um, you know, there's something almost quaint about having a women's uh, oriented uh, group. And, you know, especially nowadays, you know, uh, you know, if you're on the, on the, on the side of good, you know, it, it is that, that used to be a good thing to do. Is that still a good thing to do? Is it okay that we're focusing on women and giving? Well, I'll tell you, it's, I get this question all the time. And there are a couple of Impact 100 for Men that have popped up in this country. And full disclosure, in Australia, it's gender neutral. Men and women give together. But both Australia and the United States Part of what prompted me to start Impact 100 was a story that I had heard right about the same time. You know, I I relocated to Cincinnati. I was struggling with why women weren't more involved in the community, couldn't quite figure it out. And there was a story, and I don't remember, I don't think it was local in Cincinnati, but it was a story of a church. And something had happened catastrophically to their finances. And so the lead pastor invites in the senior staff, the head of the men's group, the head of the women's group, explains the problem and said, we need a lot of money and we need it as quickly as we can, or we're not going to make payroll or pay the mortgage or whatever it is they needed to do. And so the head of the senior staff went and they cut expenses, they increased their accounts receivable, they got some better payment terms on their payables. And the head of the Women's Guild, she brought those women together and they did bake sales, they did rummage sales, they went, they did car washes, they did everything you can imagine. And two weeks later, the head of the Women's Guild shows up in the senior pastor's office with the men's guild representative with the senior staff and everybody was reporting out what they did. And she was exhausted and exhilarated and handed the pastor a check for $8,000. They'd never raised that kind of money that fast. And she went through all the things that they did to get there. The head of the men's guild handed a check that was many times more than that. Now, what did he do? Well, he thought about it. Maybe he talked about it with his spouse. And he said, I'm going to write a check. And then he called up all his men friends and he said, Joe, hey, Bruce, hey, Jim, I'm writing a check. Will you write a check? They all said, yeah, we care about the church. We'll write a check. Now, make no mistake. There was no man telling that woman that she shouldn't call her friends and ask them to write a check. It's that in our DNA, because of how this country was founded, women had time that they could give. 
they didn't have money until the, honestly, 80s and 90s, when women were allowed to finally, through the banking regulations, have a business in their own name, not have a co-signer who was a man on any loan or business they wanted to start. But our philanthropy has always been time-based because that's what women historically have had. So part of Impact 100 is to say to women, look, if you want to roll up your sleeves and get involved, we have room for you. You, that, you can do that. But if you want to write a check and only write a check, that's okay too. Impact is designed with so much collaboration and so much process of vetting. It's designed to appeal to how women work and live anyway. And the, the nuance for them, the, the exciting new thing is writing a check for what might be the first time, which may or may not reflect their capacity to give. In other words, a lot of the women who are writing a thousand dollar check for the first time likely could have done it, but they didn't, they didn't think about it. They didn't know they could. They, they didn't have confidence in what would happen if they wrote a check like that to an organization. And so they didn't. And so, um, frankly, the Impact 100 men's groups that have started in this country have struggled because it's not aligned with how men typically live and work and play, where it is aligned with how women do that. In Australia, it's different primarily because no one in Australia, we are, we Americans are way ahead of Australia in terms of our philanthropy. Men have been writing very generous checks and not being afraid to put their name on things for generations. Not so in Australia. And so the idea that men and women could both learn how to give both through time, talent and treasure through Impact 100 has been a game changer for them culturally. And that's really what it's all about. It's encouraging people to be generous, encouraging people to really step into the power they already have and use it and magnify it by linking arms with people who are all going to give the same amount of money and who are going to put their collective heads together to do the most good with it and keep it all local. The best people to assess not only what the world's most pressing problems are right there, but also who has the best solutions are local people, and I would argue local women who are very deeply entrenched in their local communities. Yeah, I think that's really interesting part of the story. And <clears throat> while, you know, I'm sure many would surmise, and I think they'd be right, that there have been generous women philanthropists uh, going way, way back, long before 2002, it is the case that um, those who are not familiar with the actual history of gender politics and uh, gendered participation and things like uh, business and philanthropy um, might be a bit surprised to hear how uh, gendered uh, these activities uh, may have been for many, many, many people and in many communities um, uh, previously. So I think that's I think that's really uh, powerful and important. Um, hey, before we wrap up, I want to ask you about your book, Invitation to Impact. Uh, it's uh, tell us about your book. It is 
part my personal story, sort of what led me to that summer in 2001 when I started writing in a spiral notebook, all the things that became Impact 100. So it's part my personal story. It then talks about the growth of impacts, but it also talks about some of the missteps, some of the things, the growing pains, the things that might not have gone well. And it is primarily, I hope, meant to shine the light on the fact that sometimes when we look at something, whether it's looking at somebody like me and Impact 100 20 years in, and it's like, wow, she is successful, or this movement is successful. And understanding sort of, it started because I just couldn't get out of my heart or out of my head this notion of removing barriers to get women involved in the community. And whatever it is that's troubling you as a reader, my opinion is when you're bothered by a problem, it's probably because you've got some peace in solving that problem. And so do what you can do where you are and see what happens. Um, and it's, it is an invitation to understanding that you don't have to have a lot of money or be some recognized name or even start a movement to make a difference. You just have to step up and give what you have to the causes and the people that you care about and watch the world get better and invite others to join you. So it's 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 an inspirational memoir really about philanthropy and in particular your particular journey of philanthropy and your perspective on women in philanthropy uh, and it's and it's inspiring the way a memoir should be uh, invitation to impact by Wendy Steele Wendy Steele founder of Impact 100 thank you so much for being a guest on the indispensables and thank you so much for the work you're doing for uh, these 65 communities uh, in four different countries. Uh, it's, it's, it's great work that you're doing and thank you. Oh gosh. Thank you, Bruce. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much. If you like this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review. You can also follow us on Twitter at go to underscore podcast. That's at go to underscore podcast. Learn more about GoToism in my new book, The Art of Being Indispensable at Work, available now from Harvard Business Review Press, wherever books are sold. And you can learn more about our work at Rainmaker Thinking by visiting us at rainmakerthinking.com. Until next time, stay strong and stay indispensable.